Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient in the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, you must be, must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So good morning, everyone. Uh, as they said, my name is Vito Baldini, uh, and I serve as a missionary to the city of Philadelphia and the executive director of Small Things, which is a food-based nonprofit located out in Roxborough. So first, I just want to give you a couple, a couple of things, and we'll get into our sermon text. So first, I want to say a huge thank you to the Resurrection community, as you guys are a major supporter in the work that I do across the city of Philadelphia, and actually every single week help to serve between eight and 10,000 families uh, the substance that they need to eat each week in food. Um, and this project actually started out of Easter Outreach, which was an annual project that was helping uh, families connect during the Easter season. And in 2019, we served 40,000 meals across the region with 90 churches and 21 distribution sites. Well, when COVID-19 hit, we were faced with a dilemma. What do we do? Do we continue to like do this annual project or do we cease distribution and just kind of do what we have to do as the pandemic and all the things? And we felt called and convicted to go and do more. And we went literally overnight from a one-time year event to a six-day week distributor. 
And that was amazing to see how the church and people in the community responded. And we really began first doing senior meal distributions where we were delivering meals to senior. And Dave Bringley, who's a part of this church community, played a major part in that. You guys have been with us from the very beginning, walking alongside of us, helping our serve our friends and neighbors in need. Well, our name was Easter Outreach at that point, and we figured we had to come up with another name that was more, uh, that would make more sense year-round. So we came up with the name Small Things, um, and it was inspired by Mother Teresa, um, and it says we can do no great things, only small things with great love. These acts of service and acts of kindness really are God's mercy, and as we continue to come together and we serve, we actually offer these acts of love across Philadelphia, and we think and we dream. If we all work together, we all did our part, we all did our small part, we did our small thing, what could we do together that we couldn't do apart? And to me, that's the vision for the church in Philadelphia, is how can we all come together and do our part in our community, in our neighborhood to bring about real change? Last thing I will mention is Emmanuel is a ministry that takes place here every single Saturday where we're doing takeout service. Um, we, we serve people experiencing homelessness and food insecurity, a hot meal, and we will be going back to indoor service the end of September, and we are going to need, we're going to need probably about 25 to 30 volunteers every single Saturday. We're functioning now at about a team of 6 to 10 because we're doing takeout, so you'll be hearing more information about that, but really want you guys to get involved. So with that, it's now time for me to pray and to uh, talk about our sermon this morning. But I just wanted to offer a huge thank you to you guys and an invitation to get continue to be involved, continue to walk with us as we see the Lord guiding us into the future uh, to continue to better Philadelphia as a result of his church and that work here in the region. So let's take a moment to pray. Lord, before this world's days even began, your word was in the beginning. And it was with you, and it was you. The mystery of this brings us to our needs. Yet today, you allow us to open your word and know you better. So we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts open to your spirit as we seek you. Amen. So the text this morning, actually there was two texts this morning. The one that I was focusing on was Acts, but I actually do quote the Gospel of Mark later in the sermon. So I was like, see God, he, wor he worked it all out for us. Uh, and I think in the text of Acts that we see in Acts chapter 6, we actually see a crossroads. We see a thing coming to a head. This is this early church community that has continued to grow and continued to grow rapidly as a result of the spirit of God's work through preaching and through this church growing. But they now come to this conflict, this crossroads. There's a decision that needs to be made in this text that is going to shape not only the future of the church, but the future of the people that live in and around the Christian community. So this is a major decision. We see in Acts 2 and Acts 4 the distribution of goods and the general care of the common good of all the people around, and now we come to a conflict. And we really are going to see how this church community really relies on the Spirit of God to transform and send them out into the world to really be God's people here on earth. So I want to look at three different things today. I want to look at the people, I want to look at the problem, and I want to look at the power. So the people, the problem, and the power. So first, we'll take a look at the people in the text. So we have the apostles, the 12. The 12 would have been the leaders of this early church movement. They were the ones that actually walked with Jesus. 
They walked with them. He taught them. He watched them baptize people. He watched them heal people. These were his followers for these three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. And now they are the leaders of this movement, which was called the Way, that is moving itself through Jerusalem. And this is really, they are, they are the people in charge. And in the very beginning of the chapter uh, one, we see that because there was, a, there was one of the disciples that betrayed Jesus in his earthly ministry, they actually added one to make it back to complete to the 12. So these are the 12. They're the leaders of the early church. Then we have the Jews. We have the Hebraic Jews or the Hebrew Jews. Just going to give you a quick snapshot of who they are. The Hebrews, uh, they were Aramaic-speaking, so they were using the language that was within the region that this, this event was happening. They were not outsiders. They had grown up in Palestinian soil. They saw themselves as more authentically Jewish than the other group that we'll talk about in a second, the Hellenists. And even secular historians had said that there had been some animosity sometimes between these two groups but they were converts to Christianity. So they were Hebrew Jews who converted to Christianity and were now part of this early church movement. The next group is the Hellenists. So these are also Jewish, but they are Greek-speaking. And they would have had, from the uh, diaspora, they would have been people that were dispersed. They weren't in Jerusalem, but they had probably returned here um, for a festival or for other reasons to gather around Jerusalem. So they were Jews that were living outside of Israel in the context of this passage. Um, one more thing that I want to say about these type of Jews is this wasn't just a, a, a geographical reality, but this is also kind of like an emotional or like a, a, like a psychological reality for them. And I'm going to read a quote from an author, William James Jennings, uh, on his commentary for Acts. The diaspora was birth of body and place, of exile and return, of sameness and difference, of fear and of hope. The diaspora from Israel was Israel in the raw, the real context of struggle to hold on to authentic identity by remaining covenant law and temple. These people are always on edge because they know the stakes. They understand that life together as a people is not a given. It must be won again and again against those alien forces that would undermine it, drain it of life, or leave it sticky and dying. So these are people that are displaced in a sense, and they now find themselves being part of this new movement and community. Now within that, within that group, we want to talk about the, the main um, the main people that revolve themselves around this problem is the widows. And they were Hellenistic. But they would have came to the same place. They would have came to this holy land. Some believe that they would have come as a result of the Feast of Pentecost, which the church celebrated a couple weeks back. They would have came back to the holy land. Some believe that they would have came here because they wanted to, they wanted to die near the holy land, so they would have moved here for that reason. Um, in that, maybe some of their husbands passed away. But the reality is this, that their family would not have been around them. So they kind of would have been on their own, even in this traveling journey that they had. And we look into the Old Testament and we see all these different commands on caring for widows. So, so in Judaism, the synagogue actually had set up ways to care for the Jewish uh, widows. But because these Jews in this text today are no longer, in a sense, Jewish because they've converted to Christianity, the synagogue would have no longer cared for them. So they would have found themselves out of place 
in a place where they don't have family or support system. They just probably left the one community that potentially was caring for them, and now they're in this new community, the Christian church, and we're faced with an issue. So that's the, that's the widows. Now we'll talk about the seven briefly. So the seven are the seven people that are ordained in this passage to serve as deacons, which I'll talk about later about what a deacon is. Um, but this is an interesting fact. The seven actually are all Hellenists, all seven of them. All seven of these come from the community that is the one that needs the help. So that kind of sums that up. We have the apostles who are the leaders of the church. We have the two different types of Jewish Christians. We have Hebrew and Hellenist. We have the Hellenist widows. And then we have the deacons, the seven. So now we're going to talk about what the problem is that's facing this early church community. This is the fork in the road that I talked about early, early on in the opening of this sermon. This is a place where the Hellenist Jews, their widows, are being slighted. They're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This reality now was going to face the apostles, the 12, with a question. Will you care for the most vulnerable in your community? Will you take care... I like this kid. (laughs) Will you take care of those on the margins? This is the crossroads that this church community faces. This problem is much much more than distribution of food. This is actually them at a crossroads to figure out what their identity will be. What had happened is this church had grown so rapidly and it continued to expand that now they're sitting there. Now they have this huge group of people. They were like the small gathering before. Now they have to figure out what are we going to do with all these people that we have? What are we going to be? What do we want to become? I will say this reality is twofold. It's a tangible reality. Like it's really tangible. It's like people need to eat, so let's get them food. But it's also a philosophical one. It's one about identity, about community. What does it mean to belong to this particular community? Is this community any different? What does this community mean to us? What do we want it to be? Do we want it to be different? Do we want to listen to the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew 25, truly I tell you, just as you did unto the least of these brothers and sisters, you did to me? Do you want to be a community that really focuses on the people on the margins, that cares about the most vulnerable and the voiceless that are right among you in the midst, around you, in your community, and right in the geographical location around you? Well, I'll tell you this much. If you read the New Testament, Jesus seems to say, yes, this is the type of society, this is the type of community that the church is going to be. The church is going to be one that cares for the people on the margins. The church is going to be one that welcomes people into it that might not belong in other places. The church is going to be this place. So are we willing? Are we willing to allow this community to be that type of community? One that really cares for the people that are on the outskirts within them. Are we going to care for everyone that's a part of us? Or are we just going to say, hey, we're just continuing to move forward and continuing to grow, and that's what matters? Or does it matter that we actually care for the most vulnerable? I will tell you, I believe that it matters if you care for the people that are vulnerable in your community. I believe that the Christian community is one that is going to give a voice to the voiceless, one that is going to allow the people on the margins to feel welcomed and loved and cared for. It's going to be the one that stands up for injustice, and when it sees things that are wrong, it's going to speak out against it. 
That is the type of community that Jesus is calling this early church to. But he doesn't just say, hey, go out and do it. What he does is he says, I am going to give you the power to do it. I am going to be the one that does it through you. I am going to send you my spirit, and my spirit will fill you and lead you and guide you and empower you and equip you to serve the very needs of the community around you. It may seem extremely overwhelming, especially today. In a world, I mean, I'll flip through the New York Times or the Philadelphia Inquirer. It really doesn't even matter nowadays what news app you flip through. You see division. You see violence. You see hate. You see all of these things. And I sit there some days and I'm like, man, I'm like, this is so overwhelming. It seems like there's so much to do. But yet I feel like I can't do any of it. That's where I think this text really helps us. Because it's not my job to do it. It's my job to allow God's spirit to lead me in doing the work of restoring a broken world. It begins and ends with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God's spirit will empower us. As it descends into the church, guess what happens? The Spirit of God at Pentecost descended into everyone and then it went out into the world and it created this movement. So what the Christians actually had to do in this text is not stop what they were doing. They needed to continue what they were doing, continuing to listen, continuing to trust the power of God's Spirit. So let's talk about what a servant is for a minute because that's how God actually brings about redemption of the world. Not through power, not through might, not through forts, but through servanthood. So in this text, we see seven, seven uh, people installed to what we'll talk about as the office of deacon. The word that's used here is the Greek word dekanos, and I don't quote Greek a lot, so this may be the only time you ever hear that. The word dekanos, um, and it actually means servant or minister. And it appears 29 times in the New Testament, this word servant. And it actually was quoted today in the reading of the gospel. It's actually one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. It's in the gospel of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where it says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You could totally translate that and say this, for the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but he came to deacon and give his life as a ransom for many. So if the God of the universe, as he descends down into earthly form, into human flesh and weakness, can say, I didn't come here for you to serve me, even though I'm king of the universe, but I came here to serve you and give away my life as a ransom for many through my life, death, and resurrection, what does that say about us who follow him? These seven deacons are going to be examples of servanthood and service across the church community so that we can see that Christians are called to service. It's, the, it's our identity. 
in who we are is we are servants at heart. We are not here to lord our power or our advantage or our influence in a way to gain ourselves something, but we're here to give that away to benefit the world. So in servanthood, ego has to take a back seat, which is tough. In, in this passage, think about this. It's like, hey guys, here we go. We're going to sit here and focus on the thing that's important. We're going to pray and teach and preach the word of God, and we're going to let you wait on tables. What? You mean you want me just to be a servant, a waiter? That's what you're calling us to do? And I'm going to say yes. And the reason why is this. In the Reformed Church, we have a thing that's called an office. And for the local church, there's three main offices that we have. We have the office of minister, we have the office of elder, and we have the office of deacon. I'm not going to go into what each of those functions are. You guys just had an ordination a couple weeks ago. But what I am going to say is that all of those offices are equal. Why are those offices equal? Why is there not a hierarchy in the offices in the Reformed Church? Because God's spirit descends and empowers and equips people to do the work of the ministry. And if we didn't have all of those offices, the church would fall apart and widows and orphans would be neglected. So God knew what he was doing. And the Reformed Church, I think, knew what they were doing when they set up a leadership structure that allowed every individual in the church to be cared for while still keeping the focus on the preaching of the gospel and prayer. So it's not like things are more important and less important. The thing was that we were going to empower people within the community to expand the good news of the gospel. This is the only way that this was going to happen, that we continued to grow, is if we had empowerment within the local church body. So in, in the office of the church, we talk about deacons, and in the liturgy that we read, it talks about a deacon this way. Deacons are set apart for the ministry of mercy, service, and outreach. They gather gifts and offering care for them faithfully, and distribute them with wisdom and compassion to persons in need. And for the purposes that advance God's kingdom on the earth, deacons visit and comfort the distress. They provide for whatever necessities may arise, and they assist the congregation at services of worship. So as we have deacons, and in my mind, we're all servants, you know what I mean? We're all deacons, but there is an official office in the church that allows us to equip and empower people to care for the community. So think about this with me. Just dream for one second. Let's just say we lay things on the table. In his book, The Triumph of Christianity, Christ, Triumph of Christianity, Rodney Stark talks about how the early church functioned in this way when it comes, and this is a sociological study of why Christianity grew. It's not a theological study, it's a sociological study. In 251, the Bishop of Rome wrote a letter to the Bishop of Antioch in which he mentioned that the Roman congregation was supporting 1,500 widows and distressed persons. Christians ran a miniature welfare state in an empire for, for the most part that lacked social services. Christians were the ones in the early church that stepped up and cared, think about it, hospitals, medic, uh, schools, all the things that the history, and like, don't get me wrong, I know there's like 
Christians have done a lot of bad things in the world. But let's just for a second think about the good things they did. They built all of these systems to care for the most vulnerable and marginalized. This goes back to the very institution of the church in Acts 6, where we began to say it's not just important to pray for people. It's not just important for us to preach the gospel. It's also very vitally important for us to care for the most vulnerable people in the world and those especially that are part of our community. That's the good news. The good news is that Christianity doesn't just throw people on the margins aside so we can advance our thing. It says, no, we have to stop. We have to be faced at a crossroad and we need to make a decision of how we can care for those people because that's the identity of what it means to be a Christian is we become a family together. Good, bad, indifferent. My one friend always says, it's real easy to be real happy when the ice cream truck's on your block, but what about when the ice cream truck's nowhere in sight? We're a family that celebrates when the ice cream truck's on the block and when it ain't. Because we belong together. And God calls us to serve And guess what? His spirit empowers us to serve. You will be amazed at what God's spirit can do when we take a back seat to his work. Examples of this. One thing I always say in every deacon training I've ever done, I hope that every deacon, if any are here today, that that I've helped train have remembered this part. The deacons hold the heartbeat of the church. What does that mean? They have, their, they have their ear to the ground. If there's something that's happening or someone that's hurting, the, the deacon's heart beat and it allows the church to stay viable because if we start to forget about people on the margins, people that are, that are oppressed, the heart of the church will stop. The deacon's job is to make sure that the pulse of that heart continues to beat because what happens in this text? Who brings the, the Hellenists bring the complaint? And the apostles empower Hellenists to serve the needs. It's a really powerful thing. And the leaders listened. You guys have great leaders here at Resurrection Church. I know a lot of them. I've bled with them. I've sweated with them. I've been in the trenches of ministry with them, and I love them. And they're good leaders. You have good pastors. You have good elders. You have good deacons. And they care about you, and they love you. But guess what? They need your help. They need your help. And that's what I'm going to ask you this morning, is what would happen if we became spirit-filled servants, all of us? So I know Dave's been working really hard with the deacons to mobilize them, and he's done a ton of great things, and he's continuing to work to do things. I just I follow your website, and I, uh, and I follow your newsletter, and I see you guys just recently housed like an Afghan refugee, which is amazing. You do work with women that are caught in sex trafficking in Kensington. You have a whole host of other things that you're involved in. I mean, you, you host the Emmanuel Ministry upstairs and serve the homeless. You partner with us in battling food insecurity. This church absolutely, totally can cares and gets what this text is talking about, that if we forget those people, that we're going to cease in some way becoming the Christian church that Jesus called us to be, so that we need to be committed to these things. So get involved. Reach out to your leaders. Tell them you want to help. Trust God. Allow his spirit to empower you. 
to serve and to love and to care for the needs of the city. Oh, I forgot a very important point. What would happen if every church in Philadelphia decided to care for its local community and was a mini social service center like the early church? What would happen to Philadelphia? Would we start to see things change? I believe we would. I believe we would start to see the improvement of the city of Philadelphia as a result of the churches taking seriously what it means to serve their neighbors. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my point. <laughs> I'm going to tell one quick story, and then I'm, I'm going to wind it down. Um, so my experience, it, a lot of you know, is like I'm a, I'm a recovering heroin addict. So I bring up this experience all the time. And the reason is not because I'm ashamed of it, because I'm, I'm actually, I'm grateful for what God did to bring me to the place that he brought me to so that I could come to know and love him. But one thing in recovery that we talk about all the time that I think is so important is we say that like one addict can best understand and help another addict. We talk about that our shared experiences that in our brokenness and our weakness is actually where we meet connection. So this is a thing that I think recovery, and we talk about empowerment. Empowerment is so important all the time. It's like I'll be in a meeting. I was in a meeting the other day on Thursday, and I hadn't been to one in a little while. And I'm sitting there, and I walk in, and I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm clean." Like in my mind, I'm like, "I'm like the I'm like the Godfather of recovery." And uh, I walk into the meeting, and like, there's new people there, and they don't know me, and they've been clean a couple years, and they're they're like, "Oh, hey, how you doing? Are you new here?" And I'm like, and my ego, everything in me wanted to like give them my like resume of recovery, and you know what I did? I allowed them to serve me. I allowed them to love me. I allowed them to welcome me. I allowed them to give me a phone list and them tell me to call them. And it felt so good just to be a part of. I didn't need to remove myself because my ego told me to. I needed to stand in the place and allow other people to serve and love me the same way that I was able to serve and love people in my early days in recovery. And it was such a gift. It was such a gift just to take my ego. Ego, sit back, hang outside while I sit here and I listen. It was beautiful. The other thing I wanted to talk about is the ministry Emmanuel that we've uh, been doing for years here and the way that we invite, um, it really is a community. And we allow guests and people from the church and pretty much anyone to serve with us. Um, and this community is when you start to see what happens when you invite, and this is what I saw in these people when I just started asking them questions in the recovery meeting and they're telling me about the meeting, give me, there's something that lights up in them when they feel a part of, when they feel they belong, when they feel they have something to offer and something to share. That's why empowerment is so important in any kind of service because guess what? They did have something important to share. They do have something important to, to tell me. But sometimes I, you think, so, so when, we, when we serve together at Emmanuel, we listen to all the people that are part of the community. And some of them may be people that are still experiencing homelessness or a little bit further down the road. Some people are, we have people from all different walks of life that come together and every single one is valuable. Every single one is important. Every single one is something to offer. As God's spirit empowers us as a community, we actually fulfill our purpose because God's wisdom far exceeds our own. And his power is what's going to change the world. Not the best laid plans or the smartest person, but his spirit. And he'll use gifts, he'll use skills, he'll use education, but we can't forget. We must be filled with God's spirit. Now we come to the word hope. Hope. 
The way it was simplistically explained to me in my early days of recovery was like this. Hope. Hearing other people's experiences. As people began to share with me their struggles in their life, my life began to change. And as I began to share my struggles in my life, my life began to change. As we invite others to serve and we invite others to use their gifts, they share their experiences, which actually bring hope to the community that we're a part of. When people feel that they're valued and treated with dignity and respect, you watch their lives transform. And it is one of the most beautiful things you can ever witness. And there is no answer except for God's spirit. So today I want to invite you guys in to serve. I want you to visit the, the, the Resurrection Church website. I want you to email your deacons. I want you to reach out to your staff people. I want you to find a way that you can help this community. And it can be from serving in kids ministry to signing to help greet at a church to serving in one of the ministries that is working with people on the margins. But if this community all serves and all helps, we can actually see Philadelphia become a better place. So Resurrection Church, allow God's spirit to fill you as we become servants to all. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come be with us. Descend on us. Fill us with your power. Help us. Allow our egos to take a back seat as we bring you glory through our servitude and service. We pray for Philadelphia. We pray that your spirit continues to lead us as we work towards transformation and peace. In the name of Christ, amen.